0: Please take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Now we're continuing a summer series that we're doing, Changed Minds, Changed Lives. And last week we looked at Romans. Chapters one, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and we saw the importance of having a renewed mind, the fact that God changes our thinking, that we are not to allow the world to press us into its mold, but we are to yield to God. A lot of what we saw last week is the work of God in our lives, And what we're going to see this week is something a little bit different from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This week, our focus is going to be how we're to respond to the truths of God, what we should do in yielding to the work of God, transforming our lives and renewing our minds. You know, as I thought about the text that we're looking into this morning, I thought about focus, something that... Amazes me is in athletics, you can have two athletes that are naturally gifted. Both of them are extremely talented from a natural state. They're given gifts athletically that most of us don't get. But then you'll see them compete, and lo and behold, even though they're equal in their abilities, one of them drastically outshines the other. Why? Because of focus. We can get distracted by issues that are going on in our life. We can get distracted by fame, particularly we've seen that with athletes, haven't we, where their fame has gotten to their head and as a result they're not playing up to their potential. We can see that on teams. You will find whole teams that have all of the pieces in place, and yet they're beaten by a team that doesn't have the talent that they have, but yet has a greater focus. Now, athletics, that's pretty mundane when it compares to spiritual things. And what I would like for us to see this morning is the importance of having the right focus spiritually. And when we have the right focus spiritually, that can change. That is a game changer when it comes to our walk with God and our spiritual life. So that's what I want us to think about as we look into this text this morning. And what we're going to see is this. When we have a change in focus, we're going to have a changed life. So let's begin with this passage of Scripture by looking at the first verse. And notice... What the Word of God brings out to us is this, priorities will drive our choices. And what we're called to do as we look in this text is, first of all, pursue the things that are above. Look at what the Word of God says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now let's drill down on this a little bit and see what the Word of God is calling us to do. First of all, context. It's really important when we see a passage of Scripture that talks to us about something that we're to do, (coughs) that we go back and we see why the Word of God is calling us to do this. So when we look at Colossians chapters 1 and 2, we see some passages of Scripture that speak of the excellence of Christ, and it shares with us what Christ has done for us in bringing us salvation. As a matter of fact, when we really look at chapters 1 and 2, it stresses the importance of looking to the truth of Christ and looking at who He is and basing our life off of those truths and not becoming distracted by something that tells us that we are the ones that will drive our relationship with God by what we do. Really, what we see in comparison in the first couple of chapters is a difference in approach. One is looking to ourselves and saying, hey, I developed my walk with God by gutting it out, trying real hard, and it's an external, outside-in sort of approach to changing my walk. The other approach is to see Jesus for who He is and to commit to Him, and to allow God to do the work of change in me as He works my salvation out in me. That is an inside-out change. The Bible wants us to pursue that inside-out sort of change. So look at what, again, that first verse calls us to. It's telling us to pursue the things above. Look at how it's framed in this verse. If you've been raised with Christ. Now these are the theological truths that have just been touched upon in the second chapter. The if there isn't a question of maybe. The if there could just as easily be translated since you have been raised with Christ. And what it's calling us to is to change our perspective. Since we've been raised with Christ, there's something we're to do. What is it we're to do? Look at what it says. Seek the things above. Now, the ESV does a good job of translating this, but it doesn't exactly catch the sense of what the Word of God is calling us to do. If we were to put it in terms that we would understand perhaps a little more fully, it would really be the concept of keep seeking the things above. So many things in the Christian life are not one and done. We don't say, hey, today I start seeking the things of God and that's the way it is from here on in. What happens? When we make a commitment to God, when we look and we say, this is the course I should follow, the direction that I should pursue, we're put to the test. We have things that enter in that will distract us and draw us away from our focus. So when the Word of God tells us to keep seeking the things above, what it's saying is, moment by moment, I have to make that decision, that choice to look to the things of God. I'm not to get distracted by the many things, good and bad, that are around me. I'm not to allow those to draw me away from my focus on God. I am to, moment by moment, make that choice that I'm going to allow the things that are above to drive my decisions, my values, everything about me. It's going to be directed toward the eternal, to the things of God. This is what God wants us to do in our thinking. This is how our minds are renewed by the truth of God, by cooperating and yielding to what God tells me to do in thinking about Him. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of life. Really, when we look at it, when I start thinking about the things above, it opens me up to other spiritual truths. I began to view the Word of God not just as a collection of facts, but I start to view the Word of God as timeless truths that will help me in my pursuit of seeking the things above. It's a practical manual that will direct me in what it looks like to live for the things that are above. And if I'm not focused on these things, if I'm not focused on God in my life on a practical level, then I'm going to be blind to the spiritual truths that God gives me. In a previous church, I had a man who was suffering with debilitating cataracts. He lost the ability to drive because his cataracts had gotten so, so, so bad. Uh, as a matter of fact, when he would read, he would take out one of those jeweler's glasses and hold the paper this close to his face, viewing it through this jeweler's glass. Finally, he decided to go have the surgery to have the cataracts removed, and it opened the doors to a new life. He was able to drive again immediately. He was able to read documents. He was able to see people that he hadn't seen for years because of his cataracts. Imagine the surprise when he saw some of the people that he knew when they were younger. (laughs) But being able to see a sharpened focus, if you will, opened up a new life. And I would submit to you that when we sharpen our focus on the things of God, spiritually that's what happens to us our lives are changed we begin to see things for what they are with a reality that drives us and moves us and motivates us to the things of God so that's why the word of God in this text is saying keep seeking the things above but it goes even further in this first verse to talk about one particular point of focus in the things that are above Notice the last part of that first verse because it goes on to say where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The focus of my life needs to be the risen, ascended Savior. He needs to be the one that I seek. I need to seek to have an intimacy with Christ, a depth of relationship. Not just seeing Him as a historical figure, who accomplished great things, but seeing Him as my living Savior, seated at the right hand of God in victory, at the right hand of God interceding for me, at the right hand of God being my ongoing, living, loving Savior. When we look in the Scripture, we get glimpses of some of the truths as to what Christ is doing at the right hand of God. For instance, In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, and speaking of Christ, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. So this is the powerful Savior that is seated at the right hand of God that I need to focus on, that I need to think about, that I need to lift up in my own mind and in my own priorities. Because it goes on to say, after making purification for sins... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ is seated at the right hand of God because he secured forgiveness for my sins. So when I think about the risen Christ, the ascended Christ, I need to stop and really think about what I was delivered from. Now that's going to do a couple of things. One, it's going to cause me to praise him. But two, it's going to make me look at my life and the areas of my life that are sinful... I will stop and I will ponder what it took to bring purification for those sins, the crucifixion of my Lord, the suffering of my Lord. And I have victory because of the victory of my Lord. So I don't have to be bound by those sins any longer. I'm freed from them because Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Something else. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, we see that Christ intercedes for us. I love this passage of Scripture. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised. Now look at this, who is at the right hand of God, where we're to keep seeking? And this is what it says, who is indeed interceding for us. Now what does it mean that Christ is interceding for me? It means that as I struggle, I have Him in my corner speaking to God, literally praying for me, and I'm to remember that. That is so encouraging to me. In my daily struggles, as I wrestle with sin, I'm not in it alone. I have the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of God interceding for me. That's what I'm to focus on. That's what I'm seeking. This Savior who is at the right hand of God doing this for me is something else. His power is always available to us. In Ephesians chapter 1, it speaks of the grace of God, and it talks about the wonderful plan of God's salvation. But then it talks about what God's salvation has done in us. And it really culminates in this part of the passage where it says to the church, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. As a child of God, we have the spiritual power of God to dynamically change our lives. We yield to that power We seek that power, but it is that power that changes us. And look at what it's compared to. According to the working of his might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. This is the power of God that he directs to us that we might live the spiritual lives that God wants us to live. We have that power to change, and that's what we're to seek. We're to think about these things. So on a practical, dynamic level, what does that mean? I'm not to look at my sin and say, that sin has power over me. I can't help but yield to it. I'm to look at my sin and say, Jesus Christ has delivered me from this sin. He prays on my behalf and He has empowered me to overcome it. So in the power of God and by His strength, I can change. We do that only by seeking the things above. If I lose my focus by focusing on the sin, if I lose my focus by focusing on my own weakness, I'm doomed to fail. But as I focus on the resources that God has given me and make that what I seek, what I pursue, then I can gain victory in these areas. This is what God is sharing with us for us to understand and to implement now something else. As we look in this text, we're to keep seeking the things above, but then we come to the second verse, and what it really drives home to us is the importance of preferring the things above to the things of this earth. Look at the second verse. Set your minds on things above. Now, in the first verse, it said, keep seeking the things above. In the second verse, it says, set your minds on the things that are above. Really, what it's talking about, about in the second verse, is developing a pattern, a lifestyle, uh, settling in to this type of living where we're seeking the things of God. In other words, it becomes such a part of our lives that we are settled on it. This is the way I think. This is my first instinct. This is what I think about first, not secondary or tertiary, but my first thought are the things of God. As a believer, that is so hard for us to do. But this is something, this is the goal that we are to strive toward, looking to the things of God and investing my energy in those things. It means I will not allow myself to take my eyes off of Jesus, but I will look to Him first. Isn't it easy to get distracted? I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm praying and I'm seeking important truths about God or I'm thinking about things at church or any of those things, it's awfully easy to get distracted. My mind wanders a million miles off because I haven't set my mind on the things above. I'm distracted by the things of this earth. The Word of God calls us to think about the things of God and to think about those things first and foremost. This is what God wants us to do. This is how God wants us to operate. You know, I, I love fishing. Many of you know that. And When I go on vacation, um, often when people hear that I'm a pastor, as I strike up conversations with fishermen, they say, yeah, you know, on Sundays, I'd rather be in the boat thinking about God than in church thinking about fishing. <laughs> always hear that. that it's, it's always like it's the most original thought ever uttered. And again and again and again, I hear it. And as I think about that, I, I, I think we could plug in many things in addition to fishing. We view our worship and our time with God as a box that we check off, but are we really engaged? Have we set our minds on the things above? Have we looked at these things as something that's important for us because of our focus on Jesus? And that's a question we have to each answer for ourselves. What the Word of God tells us to do is to set our mind on the things above, not the things of this earth. And I find the way this is framed in this passage of Scripture to be unique and interesting. You see, we might expect the Word of God to say, set your minds on the things above, not the things of this world. And when we think about the things of this world, what we think about are the wicked things, the horrible things the things that are sinful. But because the Word of God uses the term earth, He's not necessarily talking about sin and wickedness. He's talking about the material, the things of this earth that can capture our affections. Materialism, popularity, any number of things can be okay in and of themselves. But they are things of this earth. They are things that do not last. They are temporal things, not eternal, not heavenly. And so when the Word of God tells us to not set our, things on, our minds on the things of this earth, what it's telling us is don't, don't get distracted by these things because they're fleeting. You know, as a pastor, I have the high privilege of being with people as they die. And I can't recall any of them who have talked about a new car, a job promotion, who's going to win the World Series or the Super Bowl on their deathbed. You know what they talk about? God. Laser-focused on God on their deathbed. We get so distracted by the earthly things that can be good, and they're fine. And I'm not saying totally eliminate any passing thought about these things, but is that your focus? Have you set your mind on those things or on the things of God? That's what we need to ask. And listen When we set our minds on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, when we set our minds on those things, that is what gets us through struggle and difficulty. When I'm in the midst of struggle and pain, I could care less about a lot of the things that occupy my thinking when everything's going well. The Scripture puts this in perspective. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul was talking about the affliction that he had faced because of his pursuit of the things above, his focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he catalogs the experiences that he had of suffering, it's an amazing list. And then he says this, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. Now, do you catch that? Transient meaning they pass away. They're not lasting. I just had my throat lozenger stick to my hand. Sorry about that. (laughs) But the things that are unseen are eternal. That's the perspective that we need to have focusing on the eternal. We need to look to the things of God. Because listen, the things that I focus on are the things that really drive what my treasure is, where my heart is. And that's why the Scripture speaks to this issue. So much. Jesus had these words, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know why it's so important that we set our minds on things above? Where my heart is, where my thinking is, where my passion is directed, that's where my treasure truly is, and that's where my heart is. I need to make Christ the treasure of my life. Now, some perspectives that will motivate us to seek the things above. Number one, we are protected from sin by the person of Christ. Look at the third verse. And notice the Scripture says this, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, the word for points us back to those first two verses. Look, if Christ is really seated at the right hand of God, if I am to not look at the things of this earth that are transient and pass away, and I'm to focus on the eternal, if I'm to look at the spiritual rather than material, The unseen rather than the seen, why should I do that? And the number one reason that is given in this text for why we should do that is I'm protected eternally by the person of Christ. When the Scripture tells us in verse 3, we have died, what it's speaking about is the fact that we have died to sin and its power over us. Paul goes into a great deal of discussion about this earlier in the book of Colossians, but also in the book of Romans. And what he reminds us of is the spiritual truth that when I trust Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I am given spiritual life, but I have additionally died to the power that sin holds sway in my life. I no longer have to sin in the way that I did before Jesus. That's what the Scripture reminds us of. We have died to these things. Paul said this to the Romans, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? In other words, there is change that takes place. So as I focus on the things of God, as I draw upon the resources that God has given me to overcome sin, While I will never become sinless, I will sin less and less and less and less. I will grow in my walk with God. That's a motivation. But it goes on. We have died, and look at the next part of this truth. My life is hidden with Christ in God. I've died to sin. By the way, I've also died to the things of this earth. The seen should no longer take precedence over the unseen. And that should be reflected in my values, in my choices, in the things that I do, my actions. But what I need to remember is this. My life is hidden with Christ and God. Now, the meaning of this is profound. What this is saying to me is this. My salvation rests in the power of Christ, not in my own performance. When it says my life is hidden with Christ, you know what it's communicating? It's communicating that something happened in the past. The way this is framed in the original language is really profound. It is actually in a tense tense. In the original language, that speaks of something that happened in the past, but has ongoing results. So, when I died to sin in Christ Jesus, the ongoing result is becoming more and more victorious over sin as my life unfolds. Something else, my life has been hidden with Christ in God. The way this is framed in the original language is this I'm not the one who hides my life in Christ. God is the one who hides my life in Christ and protects my spiritual life. Now, that's a profound truth that we need to ponder for a moment. The Word of God tells us in John chapter 10, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You know what the Scripture is telling me? My salvation rests in the power of Christ, the provision of Christ, and not in my own personal performance. That should direct my thinking to the things of God. I should give thanks to God for the security of my salvation, and out of gratitude for what God has done in my life, that should inspire me to keep seeking the things above. If I really get it, that God has saved me and holds me, rather than looking at my life as a license to go and do what I want to do because I've been delivered from it, I look and I say, God, how can I please you for what you've done in me? There's a big difference there, and changing our thinking about these things by focusing on the things of God rather than focusing on me or the things of this earth will drive a big decision in my life to follow God. My eternity is settled, for God keeps me. One last thought. We are promised the hope of His appearing. My life is hidden with Christ. But then the Word of God reminds me, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now, we've just finished a series on the book of Revelation. And as we were going through the book of Revelation, what did we see? Jesus is coming again to establish His kingdom on earth. There is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. This is what awaits us. As a matter of fact, the things of this earth we saw in the last part of the book of Revelation will be destroyed. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Nothing of this earth lasts. It's replaced by eternal things. So when I look to the return of Jesus Christ, and I understand that this life is temporary, that this life is transitory, it isn't here to last, that should cause me to really reevaluate the things that I value that are material. That's what the Word of God is telling us in this passage, and that's going to drive the way I live. John, in his letter, wrote this. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, this is speaking of the return of Jesus Christ, we shall be like Him, eternal. We will live with Him eternally, so we will be like Him. And notice this, we shall see Him as He is. No longer this tension between the unseen and the seen. There's going to come a time in my life where I will see Jesus as He is and I will relate to Him as He is. But then look at the response, verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself as He is pure. What's my motivation to seek the things above? What's my motivation to set my mind On the things above. I'm pursuing the things that last. I'm not cheapening my life by investing them in foolish things that are going to burn. I'm investing my life in the eternal things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, but Christ is coming again. And that's what drives my values my decision, in my life. This passage is an extraordinarily practical passage of Scripture. The thing that fascinates me about this text and the text we looked into last week where we saw that we are to set our minds on the things of God, yes, but that, that we are to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed, and we're to give our lives as a living sacrifice to God. Both of those follow deep doctrinal sections that talk about our salvation and the things that God has done in us to transform us. God doesn't want us to just be a treasure trove of knowledge when it comes to Scripture. Scripture. God wants a practical, transformative change to take place in our lives. And we see that change by changing our values, by applying the truths that God has given us and making practical decisions in light of those truths. So, my question to all of us, myself included, this morning is this What are the things that I value? What occupies my thinking, my passion? What do I get excited about? What do I live thinking about more than anything else? And the answer really should be the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Father, thank You for this text. Thank You for the reminder that it is to all of us that we are to live for Jesus. God, let us practically live these truths out in a way that honors and pleases you and in a way that grows us and prepares us for eternity. For that is where we're going because our lives are hidden in Christ. And we praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.